Let's pray one more time. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for these eternal truths. Thank you, Lord, for what we're fixing to learn. Father, um, anoint me with your spirit to speak it with clearly. Give me clarity of thought, clarity of mind, and help us grow as we look into your word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen. Go with me for a minute. Imagine a world without structure. Some of you guys have been in the military. Imagine going off to basic training and there being no structure, no order. What would that be like? That would be a mess. Maybe you've gone off to college. Imagine a college without structure. Imagine a workplace without structure. Everywhere throughout the universe, throughout everything we see in life, whether you realize it or not, we live in a world of structure, order, and authority. It's all around us. It's, it's how our civilization is built. It's the way God set up the world to, to have structure and, and order. And what we're going to see, this is a very important passage this morning, because it's going to show us our structure and order in, with men and women in the home in the family, in the church, in civilization as we see it. And as, you, as we dig through this passage and we go through it, you can be like, okay, I see that now. I understand. But everywhere we go, whether you're on a football team or you're in the military or church or, 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 or whatever, we, our world revolves around structure. And who put that structure in place? God. God did. Because if we were left to ourselves, we would be a train wreck. We, we, would, we would be a mess. Now, some people use this passage, or it's better yet, some people accuse the Bible and the church of suppressing women. And some of these verses in here, people will twist and use. But I'm here to tell you now, that's what I call, how does he do it? That is, that is fake news. <laughs> that is fake news. The Bible does not suppress women. The Bible does not suppress women. It does not suppress men. It does not suppress people he created in his image for his purposes. But everybody in this structure, everybody has a role. The word of God, God's word, the Bible, it actually liberates. Just like men, it liberates women. It liberates men and women from their sin, from their guilt. The Bible gives us the ability to serve the Lord where we're at. And it gives us structure and identity throughout um, civilization. God has a purpose for each and every person. Genesis 127. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 127. This verse is repeated five times in the Bible. Again, in Genesis chapter 5, and it's repeated in the... I'm sorry, altogether it's five times. In Genesis chapter 5, and then Jesus is, is written in three of the Gospels. That, um, so God has a purpose for each and every male and female. And secondly, i got to lay the groundwork here so you see what the text is saying and what the Word of God says. God equally, God equally values all men and women. Look at Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither 
slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Okay? So he equally values all men and women. But here's where the dynamic changes. We have different roles in life. We have different roles in the family and in church. And I believe that is the focus of what this passage is saying. We have different roles. In the family, what is a husband called to do? A husband is called to be the leader in his family. He's called to what? What does Ephesians chapter 5 say? He's, the husband, men, us men, we are called to lay our life down for our bride. Just as Christ laid himself down for the church. So we're called to lay our life down. We're called to be the leader of the family. We're called to love our wives. And we're called to love our children. And we're called to lovingly lead the way in family. The wife, her calling. The wife is called to support her husband. The, 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 you know, that's, in Ephesians chapter 5 it says, Wives, submit to your husbands. You know what that means? It means let him be the leader. Let him, let him be the leader. doesn't mean you're less doesn't mean that he's the boss and he rules the roost. But it, it says, let him be the leader of the family. And let him lead and guide the family. And you work together. In the church, what do we see in Scripture? We see that men, according to the, there's three pastoral epistles. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Men are called to the role of pastor, elder, and servants in the church. Women are called in Scripture to be servants, to be deacons, to, to be leaders. You know, when we talk about men and women in ministry, I'm going to tell you right now, there's certain things women do better than men. Okay? <laughs> there's certain things that women do better than men. Example, student ministry. We were on life support. We were on life support. And Barbara and Alex came in, and they brought life to our student ministry. The leadership that Barbara Nixon and Alex Hipkins and the life they've infused, I'm sorry, I couldn't get it. But they have come in with hearts for the young ladies and for the students. Alex working with the young ladies Barbara stepped in last June. She threw herself into the fire, and she started this, stu this student Bible study called Respectable Sins, and we went from three students to 20 students, okay? Women play a powerful role in ministry. There's certain things that women do better, even in ministry, and um, they need to be recognized um, for that. But what we're going to see in this text the, the, the point of this passage is this. God is a God of order and structure. God is a God of order and structure. And I'll go ahead and give you another tidbit is this. He expects men to live and worship like men, and he expects women to live and worship like women. Amen? So with that foundation, let's dive into verse 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. He says, uh, now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions, just as I delivered them to you. Now, I like how the Apostle Paul opens this. 
He's fixing to bring correction. He's fixing to uh, teach them. But what does he start off doing? He starts praising them. You go a long ways when you're trying to convince someone or teach someone or correct someone when you do it in a loving manner. When you go to them and you say, hey, I want to praise you for what you're doing good. I want to praise you. So that's how he starts it off. Verse 3. But I want you to understand, and here's the structure. Verse 3 is the meat of my passage. It's the bread and butter. It's the meat of my entire teaching this morning. Verse 3. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is is the head of Christ. I want to break this verse down. Verse 3 says, I want you to understand. In other words, this is very, very important. And you need to understand it. You need to see this big picture so that your worldview and, and your biblical worldview will be correct. And what he's saying here is structure. Structure. He wants us to see that there's structure in the world, there's structure in the family. And we're going to see there's even structure in the Trinity. There's even structure in the Trinity. So let's look at these three structures in verse 3. Look at the first one. In verse 3, it says, Christ is the head of Christian men. Is that what it says? No. It says, Christ is the head of every man. The world that we live in. Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father, he is the ruler of all men, believers and unbelievers. Now, they're not saved, and they're in rebellion, but he is still, it says, Christ is the head of every man, all men, all men, all women, all people on this whole entire planet will one day stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. They will stand before Christ. Some of, us, we will st- some of us will stand before him as our Redeemer and our Savior. Some will stand before him in judgment. Philippians uh, 2, 10 and 11 says this, so that at the name of Jesus, there's that word again, every, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day, every single knee will bow before his majesty. Believers and unbelievers alike. So the first structure that we see in our universe is that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord. And he has all authority and all dominion over all peoples of the world. The second structure Let's look at it in verse 3. The second structure that we see, God's universal structure we see in place in verse 3 is, uh, it says, man is the head of a woman. I kind of said this a while ago, but I'll, I'll reemphasize it again. The men, we are called to be the leader in the home. We are called to be the leader in the home. And a lot of times the reason why men aren't leaders in the home is because they're not leading at all. And men, we got to step up our game we got to step up our game and be, our, be the spiritual leaders in our home, be the visionary in our home, and, let, and lovingly lead and guide and, and direct our family. What does it look like, what I just said, to lead, to love, and to live, this is very important, to live by example, to live by example. We, we lead our wives and our children 
by the way we live our lives. Do you know that? Do you understand that? What you do, your, your children will do. That's just a universal principle that we lead by example, hoping that they will follow us. And then, talking about wives, I said this a while ago, the scripture says, wives submit to your husband as unto the Lord, as your husband serves the Lord, as he follows the Lord. Follow his lead. That's simply, when, it, when, it, when the scripture says, wives submit to your husband, doesn't mean he's the, he's the dictator or he's the authoritarian. It just says, let him be the leader. And is that not what every, every woman wants? It is a man that will protect her, that will guide her, that will defend her, that will be there for her through sickness and in health till death do her part. Isn't that what every woman wants? Men, let's do that for our, for our wives. Let's love them as Christ loved the church. So the first structure is Jesus Christ is Lord. He's Lord and all, every knee will bow. The second structure that we see in, in, in our world is that uh, it says the man is the head of the woman, talking about the structure of the family. And the third structure, very fascinating, very fascinating. Look at it in verse 3. It says, God is the head of Christ. Even in the text, we see this. We see that there's structure within the Trinity. Now, go, go with me for a minute. Think about this. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Distinct, yet three in one. We call it the Trinity. Jesus Christ is God. God the Father is God. They are all co-equal God. But yet, at the same time, them all being God, Jesus coming to this earth, what does he do? He submits to the Father. What does he say? What's one of his famous sayings when Jesus' earthly ministry? He says what? Not my will be done, but your will be done. So we even see structure within the Trinity. Even though they're all co-equal, they're all co-eternal, they're all God. But we see the Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry. And he didn't lose none of his deity when he was here on earth. We see him submitting to the Father, and we see this structure at work even in God. So structure is very important. Um, God has established structure and order. We see it in, um, in man's relationship, in all men, in the family. We see it in the Trinity. And God's structure and his order is under attack. It's, it's under attack. How, how many of you have heard of the Nashville Statement? Anybody heard of the Nashville Statement? A couple people have heard of the Nashville Statement. Some 150 Christian leaders came together in Nashville a month ago. And th this, is, this, is, this is epic. This is, this is going to go down in history as one of the defining moments in the church. But the Nashville Statement, 150 leaders, I want to name a couple of them. John MacArthur, Francis Chan, Ligon Duncan, John Piper, Nancy Woolmuth, Mark Dever, Alistair Begg. Any of these names ring a bell? James Dobson, J.L. Packer, Mary Kaysen, R.C. Sproles, Southern Baptist uh, Seminary, Albert Moeller, they all came together and they wrote this statement called the Nashville Statement. And what it is, it's a declaration, it's a statement affirming what the Word of God teaches concerning sexuality. Because we're living, you're living in a day and age in 2017 where God's structure, 
is under attack. And there couldn't be a more profound statement. As I was studying this, I was reading this, that one of the biggest complaints is churches aren't talking about it. Pastors aren't making a statement. Where, 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 where does your church stand on sexuality? I want to read to you the preamble. It's kind of a little lengthy, but it's so, so important. There it is up on the screen. You can follow along with me as I read it. The Nashville Statement is a statement that the church is making and churches across the United States are, are acknowledging and saying this is where we stand on biblical sexuality. It says, evangelical Christians at the dawn of the 21st century find themselves living in a period of historic transition. The world is changing fast. As Western culture has become increasingly postmodern, it has embarked upon a massive revision of what it means to be a human being. By and large, the spirit of our age no longer discerns or delights in the beauty of God's design for human life. Many deny that God created human beings for his glory and that his good, ple- and that his good pleasure for us includes our male and female is not part of God's beautiful plan, but is rather an expression of individuals' autonomous preferences. This secular spirit of our age presents a great challenge to the Christian church. Will the church of the Lord Jesus Christ lose her biblical conviction, clarity, and courage, and blend into the spirit of the age? Or will she hold fast to the word of life, draw courage from Jesus, and unashamedly proclaim his way as the way of life? Where will we stand? Where do you stand? Where do I stand? Where does the church stand? Will she maintain her clear countercultural witness to a world that seems bent on ruin? To forget our creator is to forget who we are. And by the way, this is what they call the preamble. We haven't even gotten to the statements. I'm not going to read the statements. I'm going to let you go home and read them. But this is just the preamble. To forget our creator is to forget who we are. For he made us for himself. And we cannot know ourselves truly without truly knowing him who made us. We did not make ourselves. We are not our own. Our true identity as male and female persons is given by God. And finally, it says, We believe that God's design for his creation and his way of salvation served to bring him the greatest glory and bring us the greatest good. God's good plan provides us with the greatest freedom. Jesus said he came that we may have life and have it over have it in overflowing measure. He is, not, he is for us and not against us. Therefore, in hope of serving Christ's church and witnessing publicly to the good purposes of God for human sexuality revealed in Christian scripture, we offer the following affirmations in denial. This document is much longer. I just got a couple pages printed off. Is 14 articles. 14 articles of what the church believes concerning God's structure, what we're talking about this morning is very applicable for, for men and women and sexuality. Uh, there's 14 articles. I know you're going to go home and research it. It's a great study, but I just want to read a couple of them to you. Article 1, we affirm that God has designed marriage to be a covenantal, sexual, procreative, 
enjoyable, lifelong union of one man and one woman. As old as dirt, marriage is between a man and a woman. Article 3, we affirm that God created Adam and Eve, the first human beings, in his own image, equal before God as persons and distinct as male and female. The word of God liberates, I can't emphasize this enough, male and female, and there's no suppression of either one. Amen? Amen. This, when you cross-reference it with 1 Corinthians chapter 11, is very, very applicable. Basically, we stand on what the Bible says. Are, are, are we going to lose our conviction? It's, be, it's being washed away. Friends, I ask you, where we, we, we've got to make a loving, kind, solemn, solid stand on what God's word says concerning men and women and sexuality and marriage is so important. Mom and dads, our children are looking at us. What, what kind of heritage are we going to leave them? We need to pass these convictions on to our children. Jesus said that you and I, we're the salt of the earth. We're the salt of the earth. Do you know what salt does? What does salt do to food? It preserves it. And that's what we're called to do. Um, and I want to, as you, as you research about the Nashville Statement and everything that was said, there was a lot of groups that came out. And they, they said, this is, this is hate speech. This, this is hate speech. You are being mean. And dis- all this hate speech was against this. And listen to Article 11. Article 11. It says this. This is what these, these Christian leaders said. It says, we affirm our duty to speak the truth in love at all times, including when we speak to or about one another as male or female. There is not an ounce of hate in my blood. There should not be an ounce of hate in your blood, in your heart, in your mind. Hate has no place in the Christian life. It has no place in our life. What we have in our life is a a love and a compassion to come alongside people and, and humbly, respectfully, kindly speak the truth in love. Can we that's what we're called to do. And make and take a stand. Standing for truth is more important than life itself, I like to say. One day I'm gonna be gone. And, and what will Emily and Daniel do with their life and their children and their children's children? Standing for truth is more important than life itself. And again, uh, the signers, there was over 150, but John MacArthur, Francis Chan, Ligon Duncan, John Piper, Nancy Woolmuth, Mark Dever, Alistair Begg, James Dobson, J.L. Packer, Mary Kaysen, R.C. Sproles, and Albert Moeller. We have to take a stand 
Because this is God's structure. And what, we, what, we're, what we're saying is, we don't want you to wreck your life. We're not trying to spoil your party or ruin your plans. We're saying to you very lovingly and very kindly, and I, can't, I know I've been said this five times, but I'm going to say it again and again and again, is we say this in love because we don't want you to wreck your life. That's what we're saying to our friends and our families and our loved ones on this, on this, on this subject. God is a God of order and structure. And friends, we do well to follow his plan. Amen? Okay. That's, that's most of my sermon. But let's, let's look at these rest of these verses. Uh, in verses 4 through 5, with that thought in mind of the structure, I spent a lot of time there because you've got to understand that structure. Uh, with, with that in mind, he explains it in the rest of the passage. And what Paul is going after here, Paul in this passage of women with hats and praying and prophesying and no hats and hats, is he's going after the blurring of genders, I believe. And what he's saying here is, in the thesis statement of what we're fixing to look at is this, gender matters to God. Gender matters to God. Let's look at it. Verse 4. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. For she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. Now, the first thing we have here is we have two parallels. Two parallels. One is, in verse 4, it says, The man who has something on his head disgraces his head, and the woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. Question for you, ladies. Where's your hats? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Is this a universal rule? Simply, no, it's not. Paul is is what they call a kerchief. A kerchief. It's that thing that the ladies would wear back then. Paul is at Corinth. He's looking at the culture. And in that culture and in that day, the women wore a thing called a kerchief or what we would call a veil. And that was a sign that was the common um, way of life for women in the culture to wear the kerchief. It was a sign of respect. Uh, a sign of reverence to God, a sign of reverence to husband. And that was what women did in that day. So he's saying here that uh, men live and worship like men. Women live and worship like women. That was a cultural thing. Women don't have to wear their hats. If you'd like to, you're welcome to. By all means, go for it. I think it doesn't matter to me one way or another. But it was a cultural thing. He's saying men act like men and women act like women. Let's look at verse 6. For if a woman, verse 6, for if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. Again, you got to understand the culture. In the culture, the prostitutes of that day, and they were very rampant in the Roman Greco world, is they shaved their heads. They would, the, 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 the prostitutes would shave their heads, and it was a statement to the world in that day, in that time, that says, I will not submit to authority. I will not submit to authority, and nobody can tell me what to do. It was a statement of them expressing themselves, and that was the way they did it in the first century. That was the way the, the, the prostitutes would do it. Now, when we 
submit to authority, we glorify the Lord. When, 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 when we, we glorify God, you glorify God when you submit to his authority and you submit to the governing authorities. Whenever you find yourself and you submit yourself into God's structure of what we've been talking about in verse 3, when you submit yourself to God's structure and God's plan, you are glorifying God. Amen? Amen. Um, let's look at verses 7 through 10. Now, before we look at verses 7 through 10, jump down to verse 9, and let's read a verse out of context. Can we do that? You know, they, they say you should n- never read a verse out of context. So let's read a verse out of context. Verse 9. For indeed, man was not created for woman's sake, but woman for man's sake. Do you see how that can be taken out of context? Woman, you were created for me. You're for my purposes. That's not what it's saying. But it can be, tw- people can twist scripture and, and say and imply things that it doesn't say. Now, let's read it and study it in context and let's see what the verse means. It has a different meaning. Verse 7. For a man ought not to... Okay, first off, verses 7 through 10, I'm sorry. Verses 7 through 10, now he's taking us back to the garden. That's all Paul is doing in these verses is he's going back to creation to that first week there in the Garden of Eden. Um, Verse 7. For a man ought not to have his head covered since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. What he's saying here is, ladies, you complete us. You are the crowning achievement. When woman in the garden, Eve was created to complete Adam, to bring them together in holy matrimony. This ain't no suppression or exaltation of one or the other or suppression. This is a unity that that structure that we call marriage between a man and a woman is is completeness. It's completeness. It's God's structure when a husband and wife come together in marriage. Ladies, Married ladies, you complete your husband. Jackie completes Rodney. Rodney completes Jackie. There's this supernatural bond that takes place between a husband and wife that only God could create. It's amazing. It's amazing. Verse 10, therefore the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Boy, I struggled with this one all week. Oh, man. I, I, I wrestled with this verse all week long. I wrestled with it and tossed and turned. And here's what I've got to say about verse 10. Ladies, wives, you are our jewel. You are our jewel. You are. Ladies are our prize. You are the crown. 
that completes us in life. And husbands, we need to love our spouse. We need to love our wife because she completes us. She, she's there for us. My, I, unequivocally, my very best friend in life is my wife. She knows my weaknesses. She knows my struggles. She knows my strengths. She knows everything about me. She probably knows me better than I know myself. Because I'll be struggling with things and she'll pinpoint it. She'll tell me. And it'll, it'll, it'll she, she knows me. But that's the relationship. That's this structure that God is talking about in this passage. Let's, uh, verse 11. However, Paul says here, however, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. I kind of said this just now. There's a bond that takes place. There's a God-ordained bond as, as a husband and wife, as they trust Christ and they live out the Christian life. There's this bond that should take place. You know, a lot of people like to talk about the triangle. God's at the top. Uh, God's right here, husband and wife. As husband and wife get closer to God, what happens? They get closer to each other. And that is where that bond forms. So you want to grow your bond in your marriage? You want to strengthen your marriage? Draw closer to God in your daily life. There's a dependence on each other. As I said a while ago, we're, we should be best friends. Verse 12. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the, the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. Now I can imagine, as the Holy Spirit is inspiring the Apostle Paul to write this text to the Corinthians, I imagine there was probably some men at Corinth, and their heads were starting to swell because they were starting to think different things about different passages, saying, yeah, I'm in charge. I'm, I'm the head honcho. But Paul brings them back to earth in verse 12. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman. Men, we owe ourselves to a lady, our mother. And we do well to remember that. But then, in this verse, he brings them back together and says, but check this out. Both of you originate from who? From God. Very important that we remember that. All right. Verse 13. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Again, this was the cultural thing of the head covering back then. Um, judge for yourself. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? It depends on the culture. It depends on the culture. It dep depends on the, the scene. It depends on what's the way of life in that civilization. It just, it just all depends. Okay? Verse 14. Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? Where's Jim at? Oh, there he is. And, and uh, Aaron. Y'all been studying this verse? Yes. Yeah. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. The worship team can begin making their way back up. But uh, it's, a, it's a cultural thing. Uh, does not even nature itself teach that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? It depends on the culture in the day. Men act like men, women act like women, and that is God's structure. Um, verse 15, but if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. Again, 
I'm, I'm reemphasizing this because the passage is reemphasizing this. The point is this. There's a distinction between men and women, and we can't blur that line. Now, there's people that object to these principles. There, there's people that, that say no, um, that, that reject it. And I believe that is why verse 16 is written. Look, at, look closely at verse 16. He's laid out this principle. Paul has laid out this principle of structure between men and women and structure between man and God and all these the different structures that we see at work in the universe. Look at um, verse 16. But if one is inclined to be contentious, that means if a person is inclined to be in disagreement, to, to not accept it, he sa- what does he say? We have no other practice. We have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. My friends, we do well. I close with this thought. We do well to follow God's design. We do well to follow God's plan. We do well for our, our civilization for life on planet earth, for our children, for a way of life. We do, we, we, we do well. And again, some people use um, verses in this passage to suppress women. And again, that's fake news. It's just not true. The word of God, the Bible, it liberates men and women. It, it gives us, it liberates us, it gives us freedom. Do you know, ladies, there's a whole entire chapter in the book of Proverbs dedicated to you. You realize that? I think uh, the Apostle Paul, I don't have it in my notes, but the Apostle Paul, he was at either Corinth or Centria, and he, he penned the letter to the book of Romans. He, he penned the book, the book of Romans to the church at Rome. He, he penned that letter. And then he had to get it to him. It would be a 1,500-mile journey by land. It would be a 700-mile journey across the sea. Who did he pick? Who did he select and said, here, you take this book and you take it to the church at Rome? Who did he select? Phoebe. Phoebe. Go study Romans chapter 16. In that passage... He calls Phoebe a Dionychus, which is the Greek word for deacon. She was a leader in the church. She was given great responsibility. What did, what did Philip's, Philip's daughters do in the book of Acts? I heard somebody say it. Go ahead. They prophesied. They prophesied. They did ministry. So debunk that fake news when people say that. The word of God brings freedom to all men, women, young and old. Amen. I hope y'all been blessed by this teaching. Um, I've, I've really thoroughly enjoyed this journey through First Corinthians. It's going to be amazing. Next week, next Sunday's teaching will be in the second half, First Corinthians chapter eleven, and we'll be looking at the theology of the Lord's Supper. What happened that night? at the Lord's Supper, at the very first one. So we'll, we'll do that. We'll look at that next week, a theology of the, of the, of the Last Supper and what, how it applies to us today. 
and then we'll roll into 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and probably spend three to four weeks on the uh, gifts of the Spirit. It's going to be amazing. I hope you've been blessed by this teaching. And the thing that I want you to take home today is that we live in a world of structure and order, and we do well to follow.